never before shout amen at the end of that reading. May God bless the reading of his holy word. I have no idea what that's about. But I'm encouraged because I've read every commentary there is on it and nobody has any more clue than I have. I uh, took this on. I see my friend Doug, who took our church weekend, chickened out and went for the other lectionary reading in Amos. I'll be on to him after this. I saw this reading and went, no, you're not seriously putting that in the lectionary. I uh, did a series in Fisherwick about 15 years ago when I was an elder there. Derek was doing a series in the evenings in parables, and I got this one. And um, on the, during the offering, the reading had been done. The offering was next. I said, if you have any clues as to what this parable might be about, please put it in at the offering because I really have no clue. And it was the best response I've ever had to a sermon ever. People come up and say, that was great, just admitting that you had no idea what that was about. So, um, so the last hymn is, no. Um, so I've been, I've been in the Rubik's Cube of this parable for a week. And I really have read a lot of different things on it. And everybody is different. And some of them, it's just a little contrived to me what they're pulling out of it. And I don't like to pull things out of it that are too contrived. So we're going to try and make our way into this and see at least a couple of things that I feel I can justifiably say are in this reading that Brenda has just read. Um, One of the commentators that I read said, preachers should consider taking the time to help their congregations experience the dilemma of this passage, which I hope I have even in that early thing. Here's what's happening here. Let's listen to this. The story itself, it's quite contemporary. A dishonest manager is about to lose his job because he has misspent his employer's assets. Because he wasn't, doesn't want to do manual labor when he's lost his job or go to the dole or receive charity, he goes around to all the people who owe his employer money and he reduces their debts. He does this so that he will be find hospitality from them after he loses his job. To our surprise, the employer commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. Why is he commended? And why does Luke include this story in the gospel? I have no idea. But there may be a couple of clues to this. And one of the things that we might learn from it before we get to what it's about is to not take passages or parables out of the context of the bigger part of the book. Kenneth Bailey, who is brilliant, brilliant commentator and particularly Luke and particularly the parables, I thought he would be my saviour. I'm not convinced, Kenneth. I think you got this one wrong too. Um, but, uh, but he does rightfully say that we should be making sure that we don't see the verses that Brenda has just read outside of the context of the prodigal son or why Jesus told the prodigal son story or the fact that the rich man and Lazarus are to come later on in chapter 16. One of the problems we have, and it is a huge problem, is that we have verse numbers and chapter numbers. And that's, it's, it's, it's actually a problem until you take it away. And then you have a problem because you can't find anything. But it really would be better if we had some system that didn't maybe demarcate the chapters that means that, well, we've forgotten about the prodigal son stories. Those lost stories, let's forget about them because we're on to this really difficult next parable. Some of the commentators would say that actually this parable bridges the story of the prodigal son who was somebody else who squandered wealth and the rich 
person, the rich Lazarus. You remember the Lazarus story where the rich man there um, seems to be uh, money and who do you serve and what do you serve? Some of the stuff coming on at the end of Brenda's reading might link in with that kind of stuff. So we need to get the context. Like the prodigal son, there's a dishonest manager squandering. Like the story that follows, there is a rich man. There's a rich man in both those different parables. Whatever the difficulty is this, the master commended the dishonest manager because he'd acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Fitzroy, there's what Jesus is saying to us this morning. The people out there, the people that we're dismissing as not spiritual, they are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. Could we deal with each other a bit more shrewdly? What is going on? Maybe one of my problems when I started reading it is you think the master's always God. And I'm not sure we can, we can do that in this story. We presume that there's some other stories are linked with this one and we need to take them all separately. But as I looked through it this week and tried to unpack it this week, there were just a few things that I think we might be able to take from it. And some of the commentators touched on, on some of this. One of the things that seems to be happening is that the, the manager, uh, the master has said to the manager, you're losing your job. And then he goes away to the ordinary peasant debtor and deals with them in a different way. And some people have said that perhaps what's happening in this story is that when he goes to, uh, and he says to the first one, um, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil. It's, it's an awful lot. In, in, in first uh, century uh, times. So uh, nine, 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. Then the manager says, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Now, one of the things that some of the commentators say, and this might make some sense into it, is that we're in a bit of a Zacchaeus story here. You know that Zacchaeus, when Jesus met him, he said, I'll give back everything that I've taken and four times what I've taken. So in some sense of coming up to judgment and some sense of repentance. He went away and he put the things right that he'd done wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe the manager is taking off the money from the debtors that he was milking for himself or milking for himself and the master. Maybe that's one of the deals. But whatever happens, we find here that relationships and social structures are changed. The manager's looking to the master for his place in society, for his security in society, but he changes it around and looks below him to the ones who owe him for his place in society. His relationships and the eye that he has in his relationships shift. We don't go for the person above us anymore. We're trying to make friends with the people below us instead. It's quite a revolutionary thing to do. I even thinking about it this week, I'm not sure that any of us quite do that. Most of us are still looking up, looking for respect from there, or looking for friendship with there. And we're back to the sermon a few weeks ago about where you sit at tables, and who you sit with, and who you hang out with, and who you seem to be hanging out with. Except even, should I suggest, without any, without 
any kind of judgment on Fitzroy when we're voting for elders or committee people. If you look at the Gospels, probably probably, um, Judas is the only one with any kind of CV that might get him the job. But we're not good at kind of putting the bin man on as an elder. Because the person that's the mayor should maybe have more chance of being an elder than the bin man. Now you see what I'm saying there? There's neither a mayor or a bin man in Fitzroy, so I'm not taking that specifically. At least if you're a visitor and you're a bin man or a lord mayor today, I'm sorry, I know you're not sure which one you want to be because I've thrown the story to the point where you're not sure which one in Fitzroy will be recognized. But do you see what I'm saying? That we still look above us and that the Gospels actually, and particularly Luke's Gospel, challenges that the whole way down the road. If we want to remember back, um, he said, having lost his place, if we want to look at Luke chapter 1, Mary and her song, he has brought down rulers from their thrones. He's lifted up the humble. There's a change in the hierarchies. There's a change in who's important. There's a change in that there are anybody important at all. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Luke chapter 6, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God, but woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Luke 18, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Old hierarchies, old systems. In those days, they would have thought the rich people were the spiritual people, and they would have thought that again, and maybe we're coming into the Pharisees who were also um, very interested as well as their laws in wealth and accumulation of wealth. Maybe we're even in the temple where we're overturning tables. All these things are maybe being just churned about in the dishwasher, not the dishwasher, the washing machine of this particular parable. Constantly, Luke is trying to say that the hierarchy of relationships, and is that not what Christine goes to India about? The Dalit. Would the Dalit be given the eldership? What's Jesus saying about the master and the manager and the peasant and who we should be finding our security and our relationships with? Maybe. Maybe that's one of the things that is coming through here. The other thing is this acting wisely in difficult situations. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. That's interesting, how shrewd we should be. And it wasn't very long before my mind started to go across to Matthew's gospel and I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And do you know, I never ever, and I should have because I'm your minister, but I never ever linked the snake and the shrewdness with the snake in the garden. Jesus says in that particular verse, you should be shrewd like the devil almost. There's some imagery there that could suggest that. And as innocent as doves. So what is Jesus trying to suggest to us? Maybe we're a bit naive in Christianity. Maybe we're, um, maybe we're a wee bit lacking in having the imagination to deal with difficult situations. Maybe, maybe we need to not get too tied up in laws because what was happening in this story was that 
they owed this, you didn't give this, so you're going to have to get this. But then the shrewd manager went away and said, I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll not worry about the rules in this. We'll cut that out so that I can have relationships, so that grace in some ways can come end of the scenario. Grace, friendship, welcoming the more important. Is there a shrewdness about what we should be doing in our lives? Or maybe are we as... Uh, wise as doves and gentle as serpents. What's Jesus saying about our shrewdness in changing the way the world is? Finally, I guess, it's quite simple. Money and priorities. We can't serve both. John Trinder would have loved leading the worship this week. My first commentary on working uh, preacher.org uh, was you've got to serve somebody, Bob Dylan. We might come to it at the end. There's something going on in this story that Jesus unpacks a little bit outside of it, between this and the rich man and Lazarus, that says we can't serve God and money. We can't serve God and wealth. And wealth was the thing that was really being served at the start of the parable. The accumulation of wealth was being served, as it will be, in the rich man and Lazarus a little bit later on. And what Jesus is clearly telling us the whole way through this gospel is that we cannot serve both these things, and that one of them is actually dangerous for the other. And I've said it before in Fitzroy, and I'll say it again. When people say to me, and they do say to me, um, what's it like to be the minister of a rich congregation? I immediately respond because I had to, the first time was asked the question by saying, I don't think Fitzroy are really obsessed with the accumulation of wealth. I really don't see any of you from my perspective where I'm thinking they're really all about money. They're wanting to get more money. They're living for money. Money has become a something they serve. I don't see that as I see some other places and in other church congregations and scenarios. But I also add to that that it is difficult being the minister in a congregation with a lot of money. It is difficult to be a follower of Jesus when you have a lot of money because you make decisions because of the money you have and you have more opportunities and options in your decision-making than others. And maybe that just makes it trickier to completely serve God when the opportunities at your disposal that might not seem particularly evil or particularly sinful might just be there. So therefore, we can take those decisions rather than committing to God the way somebody who has nothing might be in a better position to commit to God. You can't serve God and money. One gets in the way of the other. And that's a challenge that we need to be thinking about in our rich lives all the time. Was the elder son in the prodigal son story safe in the accumulation of wealth and barns and duty and not in the flesh and blood grace that the father was showing to the brother, the prodigal who'd squandered all. Actually, is there a conversion in this parable for the master who watched the shrewd manager go and put relationships before wealth? He had to. Maybe that's what caused him to do it, but he did it. And maybe the master is so impressed with how he's changed the relationships with others 
that he's having some sort of change going on within himself. That the rich man in the Lazarus story was too late to be able to respond to. Whatever the message today is, you can't serve both. Conclusion, here's a few things. It's just me trying my best to make some sense of this. And if I had another week, but there's another lectionary reading will take my attention next week, maybe we would get another way to approach it. But just as this man was totally devoted to mammon, we should be totally devoted to God. The master wanted paid. Just as this man was totally devoted to mammon, we should be totally devoted to God. Apply your entire self, all your cunning, all your ingenuity, all your energy into serving God and furthering the work of God's kingdom. God's wealth is in loan to us, so let's not be wasteful. Let's not squander God's wealth on our own pleasures, but in reaching out to others. Let's consider how we can responsibly manage God's wealth and share that abundance with our neighbors, with the poor. Forgive and be generous without concern for yourself. Give without expectation of return. It's all perhaps right here in the story. Serve those who cannot repay or benefit you in some way. The children of light should apply all their shrewdness and energy into serving God with a singleness of devotion. There was a man who was called up before the Lord Mayor. The Lord Mayor said to him, I'm afraid you've been a bit dishonest and it's come to light and you're going to be sacked next week. And he went out and he thought, what am I going to do? I don't want to dig ditches. I need friends. I need people who will give me hospitality when I lose my job. So he went round the churches in South Belfast and he said, if the half marathon can pass your way, how would it affect your Sunday morning worship? And they said, well, we might not get parked or Christine might not make it in time to do the safari thing. Oh, he said, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. It's tomorrow and I'm going to change the route so that it goes round your churches. And he went back on the Monday to the Lord Mayor and the Lord Mayor said, I was angry coming into church. Again, they've caused us to have to park in different ways or not get into our street because they're running past us with all saints there and city church here. I mean, that's a bit of a clump of churches. But one member of the congregation said, surely that's how it should be, Steve. We don't want to be up there in the hierarchy, do we? We don't want favors because we're Christians, do we? We don't want the peasants suffering while we're the ones that are going to get the benefits of the structures of our society. And so before I got up to preach, I'd realized that that was maybe one of the best illustrations of what's happening in the sermon today or the passage today. That we, as the church, need to ask ourselves, where do we think we should be in these hierarchy of social structures? And are we prepared to give that up in order that we might reach down and become those that Jesus said would be blessed. I don't know. I have no idea. I think those things are in there. I'm not sure how I expressed them. 
I'm not sure I expressed them linking them to other passages of scripture. This is the most difficult parable that you'll ever have to preach on. And I could have went to Amos, but for my own personal Rubik's Cube week, I thought I'm going to stay in Luke 16. And I hope that doesn't confuse you more than it helps you. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to ask on a daily basis who we're serving and what things come in the way of us serving you and others. And help us to ask what are the things we could do for those below us in the social structures to show grace and love and relationship with them rather than always serving or worshipping someone above us in those social structures. And in the situations we're in this week, help us to be wise as serpents. Help us to be shrewd. Help us to think through and pray through how we deal with the scenarios in our lives. Lord, help us to get our priorities right. Lord, help us to consider as a church where we should be in the structures of society. And to ask ourselves as individuals what we expect or think we're owed rather than what we could give. Change those structures the way Luke's gospel suggests they should be changed, Lord. And do it through us. In Christ's name, amen.